Welcome to The Theology Mill, brought to you by Whitfenstock Publishers. I'm your host, Zach Mickle, and I am one of the members of the marketing team here at Whitfenstock. On this podcast, we interview some of the leading authors in theology, biblical studies, and philosophy, many of whom are also authors with us at Whitfenstock. If you like what you hear on the podcast, come stop by our website at whipfenstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock, S-T-O-C-K.com where you can browse our books and read our blog. So on this uh, book series spotlight, I sit down with Casey Hansen and Douglas E. Oakman, who are both series editors of Matrix, the Bible in Mediterranean Context. Casey's actually the editor-in-chief at Whitfenstock and the author and editor of many books, including Palestine in the Time of Jesus, Social Structures and Social Conflicts. And then Doug is the Emeritus Professor of Religion at Pacific Lutheran University and the author of several Cascade titles, including a couple in the Matrix series, um, Jesus and the Peasants, and then the Radical Jesus, the Bible, and the Great Transformation. So the volumes in this Matrix series explore the biblical text specifically within the social context of the ancient Mediterranean, and to that end use a variety of historical and social scientific methods to illuminate the text in said world. So with that, let's jump over to the interview. So welcome, listeners. Um, I'm here with Drs. Casey Hansen and Douglas Oakman, um, who are two of the series editors for the Cascade series, Matrix, the Bible in Mediterranean Context. Um, so Dr. Doug Oakman has actually authored a couple of the books in the series, which are both wonderful. And then Casey Hansen, of course, is the editor-in-chief here at Whitfenstock. So before we get into Matrix, and this is not the um, Keanu Reeves Matrix, it's much more interesting, um, let's talk a bit about what we are drinking. So right now I am having a matcha tea, just plain. Um, this is actually my first time drinking matcha, not in the form of a latte. And I have to say, I, I was a little nervous because I had heard, I think the descriptor I had heard for it before was that it's kind of grassy, which does not sound appealing at all, but I actually think it's quite tasty. It tastes like a really intense green tea kind of, so I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. What are you guys sipping on? Doug? Uh, well, I uh, like a strong coffee brew in the morning, which I put into a basically a teapot so I don't have to keep making coffee all the morning. That's what I have in my hand here. Uh, strong, plain old coffee. Very nice. Very nice. Casey, how about you? I've, I'm drinking uh, lemon ginger tea. Oh, yeah. yeah. Doug, I'm curious, do you drink, do you drink, um, like, is it, you said strong cup of coffee. Is this like French roast we're talking about or just highly caffeinated? Uh, French or Italian roast. Uh, okay. And uh, Casey and I have worked together for a long time, and uh, we always started our work off with a good, strong cup of coffee. <laughs> Very nice. I'm surprised yeah. you tea today. Uh, that's a longer story. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time to go there today. <laughs> yeah, Address the topics of the day. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I I actually had my first Turkish coffee 
the other day. I don't know if you guys have had that before, but it's like at least the kind I got was like a little four ounce cup. And it was, it, I mean, I, I knew it was going to be thick and bitter and all that, but I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. But it was, uh, I was feeling a little bit shaky <laughs> afterwards. It was a little intense for me. And did you drink it with a uh, slice of lemon? No, no, I, I was actually at a, a Lebanese place. So I was having, uh, I can't remember what I ate, but I was having a heavy lunch. Yeah, I in uh, in Jerusalem, uh, one of the best cups of coffee I ever had was in a Palestinian cafe uh, with a, uh, an espresso of uh, Turkish coffee and that they served with a, a lemon rind. Mm. And it was really good okay i'll have to try that that sounds delicious i tend to appreciate espresso but for me uh turkish coffee usually comes with sugar in it and i prefer just strong old coffee and drink uh, espresso or americanos as well Mm, sure sure yeah they they laugh at you in europe though if you ask for an americano yeah, <laughs> I think that's my favorite drink. I'll, I'll make sure not to order it when I go to Europe. <laughs> okay, let's get into um, let's get into Matrix. So let's let's just begin. Um, if you guys could could provide kind of just a brief snapshot um, of what you're after with the series, what is the series about for for maybe listeners who haven't um, heard of it or, or don't know much about it? How would you kind of sum it up um, briefly? Well, one of the uh, key things about the background of the series is that Doug and I uh, were longtime members of the context group uh, of biblical scholars working with uh, social scientific methods. And that was a really collaborative uh, group. And um, it's it's out of that uh, collaborative uh, meetings, out of those collaborative meetings, uh, that uh, the idea sprang for a series that would specifically focus on the kind of work uh, that we did in context. And um, uh, so appealed to uh, members of the group to contribute volumes and of various kinds um, uh, to the series, and so in the series you'll you'll see we have uh, everything from monographs like the re- two recent ones, uh, Jerome Neri and writing on the the Gospel of Luke, and uh, Santiago Guijarro. Uh, writing on the Gospel of Mark are single authored and they're, you know, a monograph with a a single thesis that they're uh, following through in the volume. Uh, And we also have books like uh, Doug's uh, Jesus and the Peasants, which is a collection of his revised essays uh, on uh, Jesus economics and uh, peasant studies, and and then we've got uh, 
a book edited by John Pilch and Bruce Molina, a handbook of uh, biblical social values, uh, which is a collaboration of about 30 scholars uh, putting uh, writing short pieces on uh, key values in social science perspective uh, in biblical context. So that's, uh, Doug can say more about all of that. Yes, and the series uh, has both anthropological and sociological uh, theoretical uh, perspectives. Uh, while usually uh, anthropology is reserved for uh, pre-modern settings, uh, and sociology is understood to be uh, related to modern settings. Uh, nevertheless, uh, our writers and our context group people found all of those resources to be very helpful. Uh, for instance, in my case, uh, comparative uh, studies of peasantry uh, could involve both uh, contemporary uh, peasant studies like those of James C. Scott, or uh, people like uh, Eric Hobsbawm, who uh, did historical studies of peasants. Um, we also had people uh, like Bruce Molina uh, and others who used uh, cultural anthropology of, uh, to study Mediterranean uh, values, central values like honor and shame, uh, collectivism, dyadic personality. Uh, we have interesting um, perspectives uh, from people all over the world. Uh, I think, uh, for instance, uh, of uh, the, uh, the book, uh, Jesus the Shaman uh, by a South African, Peter Crawford. Uh, Casey might add some uh, footnotes to this. Well, yeah, and, and in addition to uh, Peter Crawford's uh, The Life of a Galilean Shaman, uh, the book I mentioned uh, earlier by Santiago Guijarro. Uh, Santiago is uh, from Spain and has his own experiences of living, working, and traveling in uh, throughout the Mediterranean that uh, expands all of that, and uh, and uh, the other South African in the series is uh, Ernest von Eck uh, on the parables of Jesus the Galilean. So it 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 really is an international series, uh, as well as uh, a variety of genres of writing. I would add, uh, Zechariah, that most of the people who have done this kind of work had serious cross-cultural experience. Hmm. For instance, Bruce Molina, former Franciscan, worked in the Philippines and uh, garnered uh, significant uh, insights into uh, a very different cultural context. Uh, one of our writers in the series, Richard Warbaugh, in fact, his was the first book in the series, spent uh, many, uh, many visits to the Palestinian context, uh, where in Arab culture, many of these values we uh, 
talked about are still very much alive. Mm. So this context group you guys are talking about, is this, I'm not familiar with that. Is that like a, a subgroup at SBL or is that its own conference or, or what is that? Well, we had our own conferences and uh, uh, for years they were uh, always held in Portland, but uh, there were a few other uh, conferences that uh, were outside of Portland as well. But uh, no, it was a, uh, a separate group because we also had a lot of those members formed a, a, a study, study and work groups, both at SBL and at the Catholic Biblical Association, uh, so that uh, this was kind of a third meeting place where, where it was just doing this kind of work. Uh, employing anthropology, sociology, and social psychology. Got it. Okay. I see. I'd like to add, Zechariah, this was a unique uh, seminar-like uh, group, a working group that met for 30-plus uh, years and is still going as far as I know. Um, and uh, it had a unique format of uh, sharing papers. In fact, it may have been one of the early groups to share papers by computer uh, means and uh, internet means. Uh, sharing drafts that uh, receive one hour of uh, a specialized critique by an appointed respondent and then a general input from the members of the group who were present. And in this way, um, the seminars uh, process was able to enhance work toward publication. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most interesting things about uh, the context group uh, publication record is how, how voluminous it was and still is. And the Matrix uh, series uh, includes very good samples of end products in all of that uh, input from those years of, of working together. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys had you guys had mentioned kind of the international scope of the series. Would you say that kind of the methodology here is would you say it's kind of been birthed out of um, context of developing countries in particular? Uh, so well, uh, go ahead, I, I was I was a little unclear about your question. Uh, Zach, that uh, it certainly, uh, the work is certainly influenced by the fact that many of us had had cross-cultural uh, mm. experiences, uh, but it also came out of uh, three of the members uh, had written uh, sort of groundbreaking books that had affected all of us. Uh, and they all came out uh, in, very close in time to each other, e even before they had met. One of them uh, was uh, John H. Elliott, uh, known as Jack, uh, who just died recently. Uh, his his book 
uh, a home for the homeless, uh, which was on First uh, Peter, uh, was a really groundbreaking piece of work um, in the social scientific analysis of the New Testament. Uh, and about the same time that came out, uh, Bruce Molina's book, uh, The New Testament World, Insights from Cultural Anthropology, and uh, Dick Rohrbaugh's book, um, The Agrarian Bible. And all of us had been really influenced by those uh, three books, and those three guys belong to the context group. Uh, and all of them continued, all three of those continued to do their own work and write numerous uh, articles, books, and uh, other kinds of publications that it, it all sort of fed together uh, to make this uh, critical mass of scholarship that we were all drawing upon. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we were always constantly expanding our, uh, our reading uh, in not only uh, specifically uh, various uh, forms of anthropology, but also uh, more focused in um, peasant studies uh, and uh, and Mediterranean anthropology. So, it, does that get at your question? Yeah, yeah, it does. I think I was just curious because. You, yeah, you guys had mentioned so much about the, the international scope of the series. I was just curious if if there was something sort of inherent in the developing, the, you know, the context of the developing world that had been had been a major contribution to to the series and just to the methodologies you guys employ, which it seems like definitely that is that is the case. Yeah. Um, Zach, I'll, I'll add just a few. Uh, yeah, go for it. Comments. Um, James Scott studied uh, peasantry in Southeast Asia, and his work on peasants was very significant in understanding, in my opinion, understanding ancient peasantries uh, within the biblical context. Uh, somebody like think uh, on that. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, Yes, I would say yes, because, uh, well, our focus uh, was largely the Mediterranean world, and particularly in antiquity. Uh, contemporary comparative social sciences were very much a part of our, uh, our educational process. Uh, as I mentioned, Jim, Jim Scott, very, very important uh, to all of us. Gerhard Lenski. Uh, who wrote uh, a wonderful book called Power and Privilege, very much a part of our work. Uh, uh, modeling, uh, we had, uh, uh, come on, help me, Casey, my mind is just blank. Uh, on modeling was one of our uh, key interests. Uh, somebody like... Uh, I'm blanking on names now. I'm sorry about that. Oh, aging brain. 
<laughs> that's all right i do it all the time so i don't i don't know if it's age i do it all the time as well um i get yeah i guess another question is is who is this series for because uh, obviously you guys are talking about how it how it kind of emerged from um this context these context conferences and so so it seems like definitely you know the papers and, and then eventually the books were sort of produced at least from kind of an inner guild uh, sort of sort of setting, but who who are the books for? Are, are you guys uh, who do you, who do you have in mind? Is it is it other folks in the academy? Is it uh, pastors, interested lay people? Who who did you guys have in mind? Well, I think that uh, you know the vast majority of the material in the series is sort of aimed at uh, biblical scholars. Um, but there are, there are exceptions to that in the sense that, for instance, the, uh, handbook of biblical social values, uh, edited by Pilch and Molina was an effort to sort of, uh, condense a lot of the work that all of us had been doing into a format that could be used with students and church groups and, and general readers uh, without uh, a lot of the technical jargon and without uh, the scholarly apparatus uh, sort of uh, putting uh, general readers off. And so hmm. that book had, had originally been uh, the, the first edition of that had been done with Hendrickson publishers and Hendrickson has gone through lots of transitions and has really scaled back in their publishing. And so when, uh, Pilch and Molina wanted to put out a new edition of that, uh, uh, we wanted that in the, uh, matrix series because so many of the, uh, authors who had contributed to that had been part of the context group and had been part of the matrix series already. Uh, but it was, even though it was, uh, aimed more at a general reading audience. Got it. I see. Okay. I, I so add one footnote and that is, mm -hmm. uh, pastors who, who uh, churches where pastors are, more socially conscious, I valued this kind of uh, material. Um, I've had years, numerous uh, contacts with pastors who said, you know, this is very helpful uh, in thinking about mm -hmm. how to bring these biblical materials into a contemporary, uh, a thoughtful contemporary context in a church or in a synagogue and the like. So I, I think uh, the work has had a, a real meaning uh, as well to uh, clergy and to uh, people in classrooms, particularly upper division or seminars, who mm -hmm. have used these books with their students. Hmm. Got it. Okay. So what what is social scientific interpretation? Obviously, you I mean, you guys have talked about this quite a bit already um about you know kind of the methodology drawing from the social sciences as disciplines 
mm-hmm. um, which there's of course a whole range of, of those. But but how does it do that? And then what is what is this what does this whole social scientific interpretation thing really look like? Well, I, one of the things that uh, all of us have focused on are uh, social structures and social values. Uh, and by social structures, I mean uh, how do uh, how do kinship systems work in other cultures, and specifically in terms of the Bible in in ancient Israel and Judah and in Roman Palestine, uh, how do the political systems operate? What kinds of economic uh, structures are in place, and how is that uh, how is that different from our own experiences? Uh, and the, and the second thing I mentioned was values of uh, social analysis of values like the importance of honor and shame, uh, the role of purity uh, concerns, uh, issues with regard to uh, uh, what anthropologists have called limited good, meaning uh, perceiving the world uh, in terms of everything uh, of value being in in limited quantities, whether that's uh, tangible items like water and land and and uh, goods, or whether you're talking about values like honor, that there's a limited amount to go around, and how do you manage that, and how does how does that perception uh, really control a great deal of behavior? Um, how do purity concerns differ um, among the urban elite uh, and the rural poor? Uh, because they can't, the urban, the urban elite have access and and uh, time and uh, to take care of high levels of purity concern in a way that peasants living in a in a village in a mud-packed room, do not. Two words were really important in all of our work. Uh, anachronism, avoiding anachronism, ethnocentrism. Ethnocentrism uh, was important, particularly important in saying that first, first century uh, um, biblical cultures were quite different from 21st century U.S. American cultures, uh, individualism here, collectivism there. Um, furthermore, our groups often ask that uh, we develop models which were to make explicit our assumptions about culture or social um, arrangements. And uh, Tom Carney's book uh, uh, was very important to us. Uh, the shape of the past. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see I can see the difficulties um in I mean even I think even most most people picking up a bible today probably have 
quite a challenging time um or just i guess the context i feel like um, eludes us myself included um and then you you add the layer so you add the layer of kind of that being um distant from us and and then not being um, ready to hand for us but then you also add sort of the complexity of you know that this is a global a global collection of books um in terms of its readership today is what i'm saying yeah. um and, and so each person is reading it from their own from their own context as well and so and those contexts oftentimes are distant from us as well so you, i can see you know matrix i can see how these things um just how how complex it can be so so what are you guys what are you guys doing in this series what are the authors doing to try to sort of sort through um the complexities of navigating ancient ancient um social realities contemporary global social realities and then the content you know the specific context that readers are coming from well what doug was saying about models uh speaks heavily to that and that is uh after we do our research on what the relevant uh, values are at stake, how the institutions are working, uh, how their social systems fit together, uh, making models uh, is is a way of getting our uh, the critical issues out on the table to say, this is how we see it being formed, whether we're talking about the first century and the New Testament, or whether we're talking about uh, seventh century Judah. Uh, here's, here's our understanding of how this operates in the society. And, uh, and here are some key differences with how that operates in our own society. I mean, we have debt and we have uh, uh, concerns about reputation and those sorts of things as well. But it operates in a very, very different uh, arena when it's part of a, a different uh, society in a different time period. And mm -hmm. so bringing those to the fore, uh, is is meant to help uh, uh, is meant to help the reader get a handle on uh, both what they're reading and how their own distinctive uh, context and awareness and depth of understanding uh, interacts with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, two, two other words, uh, understanding uh, how people thought and acted in the past, uh, and then perhaps explanation why certain patterns persisted uh, in agrarian civilizations, as they have been called before the Industrial Revolution. There were certain patterns that persisted. I call them variations on a theme. That is, uh, roughly 1% controlled almost everything. Hmm. And they had 
10% of the population who are in their pocket, helping them to control the rest. Uh, so we often talked about the 90, my joke was always the 90% who wanted to know how the other half lived. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. And, so, go and ahead, one, go ahead. Also to your, to your question, Zach, is, is, uh, uh, our, our late friend, uh, Bruce Molina used to say, if you can pick up the Bible uh, and just understand it uh, immediately, just flop it open and you say, "I well, I get that, you've probably completely misunderstood what the text is talking about. Mm, yeah. Because the, the, the default position of every human being is to immediately... Uh, put whatever is said or done into my own context. And so if mm -hmm. I don't understand something uh, that uh, someone is telling me who comes from a different culture, whether that's in a oral conversation or whether reading an ancient text, I assume my inclination as a human being is to assume that they mean what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a, that's ethnocentrism. That's what right. often we're very explicitly trying to finesse. Uh, and so sure. that's sure. what we're trying to raise up is, is to make explicit how the ancients uh, who are being uh, portrayed in the text and the, and the ancients who are writing the texts, uh, what their assumptions are, and how they're so distinctively different from our own. Mm -hmm. my, last, my last book, uh, which is in the series, uh, Radical Jesus, Bible and the Great Transformation, which the latter part, uh, which refers to work of Carl Polanyi, great uh, economic historian. Um, at the end, I, I try to in, indicate how, if you really want to take these texts as authoritative for today in some manner or form, how do you do that? And I suggested that you do that with a dialogue about values. And of course, uh, as Casey and I have been talking about, the values of the biblical periods are not the same as the post-industrial or even technological technological right. uh, settings. So we see in our United States culture, especially in the evangelical camp, this propensity to take a verse out of context and immediately yeah. think it means something today. Uh, that's what uh, I was trying to deal with uh, in the book that I just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I have about four or five... <laughs> at least more questions running through my head but for the sake of time um we should probably wrap up so maybe maybe we should do a, a maybe we can do a a follow-up conversation because i think that there's this could be really fruitful and we could we could talk lots more but i just want to say thank you to both of you for taking the time to chat this morning i really appreciate it thanks zach i appreciate it thank you
Thanks for listening to the Theology Mill brought to you by Whitfinstock Publishers. If you liked what you heard and would like to hear more, you can subscribe to our show and visit us at whitfinstock.com. But more importantly, God bless, good friends, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you.